welcome to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts, which are now entering their fourth year of broadcast. Who would have thought that when Seth died in 2014, all these years later we would be making a podcast in his memory? It's a really exciting time for Charlotte and me. We've been recording 30 podcasts, one for each day in November, as part of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Charlotte has been talking to all kinds of people involved with pancreatic cancer and over the next 30 days we will hear lots of personal stories. Stories of love, stories of commitment, stories of hope and sadly, as always with pancreatic cancer, stories of loss. Each story will help you understand the challenges of pancreatic cancer as well as the signs and symptoms and will help you to have conversations with people and ensure that they are aware of what to look out for. Join us each day for our Purple Rainbow podcast. If you miss any of the episodes, you can catch up by visiting www.purplerainbow.co.uk where all of the podcasts will be stored for you to listen to at your leisure. Follow us on your podcast channel, like and share, and join us for an interesting month with lots of stories of love and hope. Welcome to today's episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts. This is one of 30 episodes you'll be getting across November 2021, all for Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. I'm Charlotte and today I'm talking to Louise. Now Louise lost her sister Jo to pancreatic cancer earlier this year. And then the day after Joe's funeral, Louise was taking part in a 100-kilometer hike around the Peak District, all to raise money. We begin our conversation with Louise telling me a bit more about her big sister, Joe. She was two years older than me. Um, she was always my big sister, always looked after me throughout school. If there was any trouble, she was in the thick of it, making sure that I was okay. Um, we were very, very close sisters. Um, she moved away when she was 18 um, with her job. Um, she had a fantastic career, lovely husband, two beautiful kids. Um, and she just started her own business. She was doing really, really well. But she was poorly. She wasn't feeling too good. Um, So she had a hospital appointment. And in January 2018, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And that's where this all begins, really, isn't it? It's that diagnosis. Yeah. To me, it was that was the day that everything stopped. Life would never be the same again. And the first thing I did was Google it, which was probably the worst thing to do, because people on there don't have a very good life expectancy. But she said from the beginning, I'm going to fight this. It's not going to It's not going to kill me. I'm going to fight it. And we all said, yeah, that's great. And we rallied behind her. And, and she did fight it for three years, over three years, which is a long time. For people listening, Jo passed away in June this year. So it's still really, really raw. And I really do appreciate you talking to us about this, Louise, with it being so raw. But Jo sounds like she was a, a proper... A pro- a proper a big sister, a good big sister to you, looking after you and everything like that. So I'd love to know more about about your relationship a little bit, because I'm I'm a big sister. So um, it interests me how big sisters work out kind of thing. Mm. She she was amazing. She was always there for me. Um, It didn't matter what was happening. She never judged or took sides. She was just there for me. She'd give me advice. She would help me out. 
she would make me see sense. She was the voice of reason if I was having issues with other members of my family. She'd say, Lou, just sort it out. Just sort it out, will ya? Life's too short. Just sort it out. So she was the one that always, you know, made me realise that my, the error of my ways, if you like. Um, we had a very good relationship when she had her kids, Louis and Ruby. Um, I felt like I'd had a baby when she had Louis. We were so close it was like the, the best thing that could happen and then Ruby came along as well um, and her lovely husband Paul we we all had a, a good relationship we spent a lot of time together and especially after Joe was diagnosed I live in Milton Keynes Joe lived in Bristol so I would do the, the two hour four hour round trip as often as I could to make sure that I could spend as much time with her and my daughter as well who is nearly seven could spend as much time with her auntie. I was going to say you did mention you know, you say that 2018 when she got diagnosed, that was when, you know, life changed completely. How did it change? Obviously, you did those those trips. But what else changed? I think um, we all just became so involved in waiting for the next thing to happen. We all wanted to know. I mean, I've got a big family. We called Jo the, you know, she was the, the heart of our family. Every party that we had was at Joe's. Everything that was organised was at Joe's. Joe did everything. She organised Christmas, she organised Easter egg hunt, she organised everything for everyone, even her friends. So when we got this diagnosis, it was like, right, well, you've got to be better by Easter because we've got to do the Easter egg hunt. So she had the Whipple operation um, early February and her goal, she'd say, I'm going to be ready for the Easter egg hunt. And she was ready for the Easter egg hunt and she looked amazing and she was tired but she put her face on, she did her hair, and for all of the nieces and nephews and other kids, she did a huge Easter egg hunt in her garden. So it was small steps. We all used to say small steps. You know, there was there was a lot of ups, but there was also a lot of big downs when things went wrong and she had long hospital stays. Um, but she, we all, we all knew, I think it took us all a long time to realise, but we all knew that, that we didn't have long that it, it was a terminal diagnosis and she fought and fought and fought for a cure for more research she went for a private procedure which she paid a lot of money for um to try and extend her time which you know looking back maybe that did work maybe that did help her um but i think knowing that we were time limited made us all spend a whole load more of time with her in the last couple of years but you cherished every single second. Every second. The worst thing was lockdown because I didn't see her for nine months. That was really hard. But on the bright side, she got to spend all of that time at home with Paul, her husband and her kids because Louis was home from uni. Ruby was sitting her GCSEs. My parents live alongside them. So they all spent that year together and cherished every second of that year. So although it was awful for me not being able to see her, we regularly FaceTimed. She'd do FaceTime calls with my daughter and homeschool her while I was trying to work. So <laughs> um, she came in very useful for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Your daughter's going to remember that and love that as well. She does. Yes. She does. That's yeah. so special. Yeah. Obviously, since, since Joe's diagnosis, um, and beyond you've you've been getting involved in a bit of fundraising haven't you yes I have yeah um I've done a lot of charity work previously I lost my grandparents to um Alzheimer's so I've done quite a few marathon walks which is where you walk the 26 miles in I don't know nine or ten hours um, and I've done quite a few of them previously and raised you know a good good chunk of money for charity and when Joe first had her whipple I um 
I did another walking marathon for the actual ward that looked after her when after her operation and we raised over £4,000 and it was lovely to go into the ward and see what they were going to spend that money on. That was brilliant. But then obviously as time went on, um, I decided I needed a different challenge. I thought a, a marathon's just not enough now. We need to do something a little bit more ridiculous. <laughs> so I wrote, a marathon's not enough. <laughs> so um, I roped in one of my friends, who, um, Mel, bless her, who is a bit of an ultra. She's done ultras before and said, I really want to do this. And so we signed up um, back in, I think it was late um, 2019 to do it in 2020. But then obviously COVID hit. So we were delayed by a year. Um and it so turned out that the day that it was rescheduled for, the 3rd and 4th of July, was the day after Joe's funeral, which was very daunting. So I, I did the funeral on the Friday and left the funeral at half past three to drive up to Bakewell, which is where I was camping for the weekend to complete my ultra. So it was a very emotional day, evening and weekend. But in a way, I feel the walk, the weekend of walking helped me a lot to just have some time in a beautiful place, although I was walking and my feet were hurting, to just think about things and put some stuff to bed and and move move some stuff around, if that makes sense, just to have that thought time. So, yeah. So for people who don't know what an ultra is, <laughs> can you explain exactly what you did? So, so just so they can understand. <laughs> so an ultra, um, I went through a company that um, set up these events throughout the UK, um, mainly over the summer months. And it's walking, you can walk, you can run um, 100 kilometres. So 100 kilometres is about 62 miles. I chose the option to do it during daylight hours over two days. So on the Saturday morning after camping, on the edge of a hill overnight. We got up at six o'clock in the morning and we set off at quarter past six on the Saturday morning. Now, it's a great um, company that organises these events. You get regular food and drink sort of every seven, eight miles. So we were always looking forward to lots of free chocolate and croissants and pizza and stuff. That was a bonus. Um, but the first day that we did it was torrential rain all day. Um, and we were soaked. And we were coming across things that we'd not really planned for. Mel lives in Blackpool, which is a very flat promenade sort of her training was mainly on a flat ground I'd done a few training walks where I'd managed to get up a bit of a mountain but not nowhere near what this was the inclines were just horrific um and we'd get to some some bits on the route where we had to cross a river or a stream (laughs) and we were on our own and we were like how are we going to do this on our own and we just wait for people to come along and say come on we'll give you a hand people were really lovely um so, yeah, on the Saturday we did it and we finished at 10 past seven. So it was about 13 hours walking the first day. By the time we'd finished, it was still torrential rain and our our feet were absolutely soaked. We had to we had blisters on blisters on blisters ready for the next day. So we had to throw our trainers away. Luckily, we had two pairs of trainers. Um, and, yeah, then we went, had an early night, got up at five o'clock on Sunday morning um, to start yet again at six o'clock on the Sunday morning to then walk the other loop of the Peak District, which was another 30-odd miles. We finished that evening at about 7 o'clock again, and we booked ourselves into a luxury hotel that night, so that was great, which was a five-minute walk from the campsite. So we were well happy with that. Did it take five minutes, though, <laughs> or did it take a bit longer? It was about longer? a 15-minute drive because I couldn't drive because my feet were so sore. But um, I think if we – the second day was better. It wasn't so hilly and it wasn't so wet. I think if we had been a little bit more prepared for the rain – then we probably would have 
done a bit better. But the fact that we did it and we completed it, for me, was a massive achievement, especially after what I'd been through that week and the weeks leading up to it. It was, uh, it was a big thing for me. How did it feel crossing that finish line on that Sunday? I cried. I cried for about the last two miles. I think I was, there was a lot of rainbows in the sky. Things like that were happening. And I'm a great believer in things like that. I know some people aren't, but I certainly am. So we had quite a few rainbows and, and I, I could, I mean, I'm just so sad that Joe never saw me do it because she, you know, she'd share my fundraising page all the time and say, my sister's crazy. Look what she's doing now. Um, <laughs> and things like that. But um, I just, I felt great when I'd finished. I felt really great. I thought, right, I've done that. What am I going to... And the first thing me and Mel said, right, what are we doing next year? What are we going to do now? <laughs> and what are you going to do next? Um, next year, we're going to do 100k, but we're going to do it continuously. We're not going to stop overnight. So that's roughly about 22 hours walking. But we've chosen an easier route. We've chosen a London route, which is Putney Bridge to Henley-on-Thames. Oh, nice. You know, I thought it'd be quite pretty, quite a pretty route. Um, and yeah, being London, you know, I mean, the peaks, people were going, as we were finishing on the first day, people were going back out into the pitch black, pouring rain to carry on. There's no way I could have done that. But I think if it's London, London's quite busy, it's quite well lit, you know, um, yeah, I could probably do it continuously. So that's our plan for next year. I just want to say, did the name the Peak District not give you any clues? No, not at the time, no. I just thought, oh, oh that would be pretty. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got the map with the inclines and I looked at it and I thought, what have I done? There's no way I could train for what I went through on that those two days. There's no, no amount of training. The thing is, if you knew beforehand, would you have done it? No, probably not. <laughs> I probably would have cancelled it and signed up for something a little bit easier. But you know what? Everyone, afterwards, um, I, I'm on the page of the company that set it up. And afterwards, everyone's saying that's the hardest one you can do. Like, out of all of them, they do the Chilterns, they do the South Walk, they do the Jurassic Walk, you know, all the different walks in the UK. And everyone said that that was the hardest one. That What a sense of achievement, though. And I can, I'm sure Joe would have been absolutely just thrilled for you. So proud. Been. And like you say, those rainbows, I'm with you. Yeah. We, we see things for a reason. Yeah, definitely. We absolutely do. Yeah. And I guess when you're at, at Joe's funeral and everyone's going, so yeah, what about the rest of the weekend? Oh yeah, I'm just going to walk 60 odd miles. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I do think a lot of my family, I mean, obviously we were, um, reduced numbers we could only have 30 people at the creme and 30 people at um joe was um her service was at a woodland um close to where she lives so it's a very beautiful quiet place and that's where she's been her ashes have been interned and when she'll where she'll remain um it's a very beautiful quiet place and we all came out and afternoon tea and champagne was all put out and i just went and put my trainers on and said i've got to go everyone sorry i've got a three hour drive and i don't think everyone thought i was going to go i think a lot of people were like she really going to do it but I'd raised so much money and I'd made commitments and I'd booked things and there was no way I was going to not do it there was no way so oh I'm so pleased for you and so proud of you as well that you. is an achievement and 100 kilometers whether you do it all in one go or you know on two days that's a lot it is. you're doing more than a marathon each day yeah yeah so how much money did you raise I raised 1975 pounds that's fabulous it is fabulous I mean I think 
if it hadn't been for COVID, sorry, it probably would have been double because um, for the Easter um, in my workplace, I'd organised a um, like an Easter egg raffle where my sister and I and a couple of friends were going to just buy some Easter eggs and raffle them off and try and raise some money. I'd had friends at work who'd said that they were going to buy cakes and we're going to, um, sorry, make cakes and we were going to do a bake sale. I had loads of stuff planned that then I just couldn't do, you know, um, and it was it was difficult to think of think of stuff to do when you can't see anyone or do anything. So um, I do think COVID definitely hampered me. I think I probably would have doubled it if I'd have been able to get out there and raise some more money. So, but so you, but we've got plans for next year. Next year, next year will be double and more. I hope double and more. Oh, do you know? I would love to talk to you next year ahead of time <laughs> as well because you talk about. I always find because I I do running and walking as well, and there's something about being outside that makes clears my head from everything and everything. And when you're in a pretty place as well, or or just getting out, do you think that's helped you get through everything that's been that Definitely. you've gone through this year? Definitely. I mean, it was, like I said before, I'd done the Alzheimer's walks previously, and like the last ten years, I've probably done something every year. But um, the um, as soon as Joe was diagnosed, I knew, right, Alzheimer's, I've raised enough for them now. Now we've got to move on to something else. Um, so I did that that fundraising. But every time I went for a walk, I'd get quite emotional because I'd think, right, I've got to sort me minute. I've got to do a 15-minute mile. I've got, to perk it, I've got to start walking faster. And I've got to make sure that I can do it in a proper time. You know, I don't want to be out there 10 hours, 12 hours in a, in a marathon. That's not right. I need to finish it in eight. And it motivated me and, it, and, and I'd think about things. I think the thinking time was probably one of the most important things. What what I'm finding now is because I've I've signed up just for a half marathon at the end of October. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a half marathon. Just a walking half marathon. It's a Halloween one where you can dress up and have fun. So I thought, right, I'll do that. So I'm doing that. At, uh, I'm not fundraising. I'm just doing it for myself. Um, and I've started practicing. I, I do two miles every day, every lunchtime. But now I'm struggling because at 12 o'clock I used to talk to Joe like when I was doing all my training on my lunch breaks I'd talk to Joe and I went out on yesterday and I got so emotional because I was thinking oh god I'd normally be speaking to her and she'd be telling me what she was doing I'd be telling her what I'd be doing and I think that's the first time something like that has really hit me because we used to have loads of conversations loads of FaceTimes day in day out but it's that poignant lunchtime chat that we had religiously that I really miss now. I really, really miss that. But but just being out in the fresh air, and I'm lucky that I live near a really lovely country park and canal and I can get, get away from the road and the cars and the people and, and just have some time on my own. But but I noticed this week that's the one thing that I do really miss. So most of the time I just ring her husband instead <laughs> and chat to him <laughs> and we talk about how sad we are together and how angry we are together and we offload and, and then we feel a bit better. So... You can still talk to her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do. I talk to her a lot <laughs> in my head, <laughs> and I think that's a good thing to do. Actually, I do because um, I've lost friends. I say recently; it was twenty nineteen. I still have conversations with them, mm-hmm. and I think it's just really useful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, there's sometimes I just need advice, you know, and I'll say to Paul, oh, "What would Joe have done?" And he said, "Well, why don't you ask me what I'll do?" I'm like, oh, go on then. What would you do? You know. So I, we talk about things together. So it's nice. It is nice. 
And it's lovely that you still have that closeness as well. Yeah, and I think um, Paul and I's relationship has has just grown and got a lot better, a lot not a lot better because we've always had a really good relationship. But I just think we support each other well. Definitely, he knows I'm there and I know he's there, so he helps me. Thank you so much to Louise for sharing her story. And I really do want to catch up with her when she's doing her continuous 100 kilometer event next year. And of course, thank you for listening. Please remember you can still share this podcast. You can leave us a review and a rating. It really does help get the visibility out there for the podcast. Remember, we've been here every day in November raising awareness of pancreatic cancer. You can find out a bit more about what we do at purplerainbow.co.uk. And of course, I'll be back tomorrow with another episode.